The Guardian. Hi, I'm John Clausen, and you're listening to The Guardian Children's Book Podcast. I wrote and illustrated a book called I Want My Hat Back. The story, loosely, is that a bear has lost his hat, and he goes from animal to animal, asking if they've seen it. And nobody has, or at least nobody says they have. Uh, the third animal that he asks is a rabbit who is wearing a hat, but denies it, and denies having seen any hats, or stolen any hats. And the bear keeps going, and doesn't really notice that the, that the rabbit was wearing a hat, and keeps going out and asks the other animals if they've seen the hat, and nobody has. And so he, after a long day, he sort of lies down and laments this whole situation, and a deer comes and asks him, what's the matter? And he says, well, my hat is gone, and I, have, I can't find it, no one's seen it. And um, the deer asks him to describe the hat, and that's the first time we've gotten any information as to what his hat actually looks like. And he describes the hat that was sitting on the rabbit's head, and as he's describing it, he realizes, at the same time we do, that he has seen his hat. And he sits up in a rage, runs back past all the other animals we've seen that day, and, and confronts the rabbit. And the rabbit doesn't say anything. There's a sort of a silent spread between them. The next spread is just the bear sitting on a sort of a crushed plant where the rabbit was, wearing his hat and saying he loves his hat. And the next page is a squirrel who comes up to the bear and asks him if he's seen a rabbit wearing a hat. And the bear uses the same language, word for word, that the rabbit used to deny having seen or stolen any hats, to deny having seen or eaten any rabbits. And then there's an empty spread with him sitting by himself, and that's the end of the book. Your most recent book is The Dark, which you've worked on with um, the one and only Lemony Snicket. And it's a story of a little boy called Laszlo who's um, scared of the dark, and the dark lives in the basement of his house. You're known for your use of dark pages and dark colours. Lemony Snicket is known for his dark everything, language and concepts and and humour. Was this collaboration inevitable? I mean, how did it come about? It came about pretty organically. When I was getting into books, his editor wrote me. At the time, I hadn't, actually. It was really early on. This was years and years ago. And um, I sent her some ideas of my own, and um, I think they were still early on. I hadn't really developed any books yet, so I wasn't really experienced with it. And so she asked if maybe I had any sort of visual prompts for a story that, that Daniel uh, Handler might write, Lemony Snicket. And, um, and for some reason it came pretty quickly. I, I sent them a picture of, of a little boy at the top of the stairs holding a flashlight, but the whole page was black, except for in the beam of the flashlight you could see the stairs and the, sort of the details of the house, but only in the beam. And then at the bottom of the stairs there was a big black rectangle for a door, you know, how sort of light doesn't go through these doors, or it just looked visually like the door was still in the dark. And inside the black rectangle, it just said, down here, said the dark. And, it, and that was it. And um, I said, I didn't know how to arc this or like what the story might be and how to sort of pace it. But if Daniel has an idea for how he might make a book out of this, I'm all ears. And he did. He, made, he wrote the whole book, and that's pretty much the book that we have now. And it worked perfectly with the style of it. I think it helped a lot sort of for us both to have a, a picture in our heads of what the start of it would be, because then he could write to it. And he could sort of, what he wrote sounded like what I had hoped, or like at least, you know, in in a very small way um, but the voice of the dark and all of that was just in this very quiet way and it was just a beautiful gift of a, a text to illustrate. Mm. So did he write all the text and then send it to you yep. to illustrate so you had the initial image and yeah. then you didn't know what was coming next with the story? Right I had no idea. Right. Yeah it was great it was a really neat way to work I liked it a lot. And it's, it's a picture book about the dark for the age group that's argued, arguably most scared of the dark. Um, that's a tricky thing to do. Did you feel you had to pull back at any point from how, how dark you were making the dark? No, I, 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 was a, I was a pretty sensitive kid about 
all that kind of stuff too. And especially about movies and television, I didn't like or enjoy watching scary stuff and I wouldn't seek it out. But I remember seeking out scary books, picture books, like ones that were creepy and, and knew they were. I think because I felt safe in getting scared that way, I think there's something about picture books that you, because you're pacing it and you can close the book anytime and it isn't happening forcefully on you. With movies or television, I feel like, you know, it's dragging you through in time and you're not really in control over the next event. But you can turn a page at your own pace and you can look around. And um, I love being scared like that. I really, I, I enjoyed that. And so I didn't feel like I was going to go overboard with it just because I hope my sensibility wouldn't be inappropriate no matter how far we went. But we didn't ever try and soften anything either because we just sort of knew that we liked, we, we liked a good creepy book. And this isn't, you know, it's not uh, gratuitous, I don't think. And part of the safety net of doing a book about the dark is that there's nothing there. It's just black. And so it's all implied anyway. And so the most you can do is imply everything. And the child will be as scared as his imagination lets him be because you're not really showing what he's supposed to be scared of. It's just the absence of things. It was a fun book to illustrate that way because it was all about negative space. Mm. And another great name's been involved, involved with it, Neil Gaiman, who's voiced the yeah. trailer. I don't know if he's... he's he did the voice of the, of the audio book, or of the, of the sort of, they did an iPad version of the book that you can turn the pages um, on the screen and everything, and he, he narrated it beautifully. Mm. Yeah. And you've worked with him on some other projects as well. Sort of in a loose kind of way. I worked on Coraline, the movie adaptation of it that Laika did. I worked on it for about two and a half years doing sets and props and things and that was that was his book initially. So it was a, it was a loose connection but it was there. Yeah. Mm. Because your background is in animation. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I did I worked as a concept artist and a set designer and things like that for many many years before. Well, many many years, about 6 or 7 years um, before I got into doing books. How did you get into doing picture books? How did that come about? I think my own work sort of evolved into stuff that um, looked like it was for books. I think um, I didn't really know my, my style or what I wanted to do on my own before I started working in animation for a long time. And the more I did illustration work on my own in the evenings or just side jobs, the more they ended up looking simpler and, and more for younger audiences. And so the more I started putting work out of my own, I started getting calls or just more interest in doing books. And I started doing them and liked it much better than doing the animation work. And so eventually I left animation altogether and now I just do books full time. It, it always is picture books. There's, what is it about that age group that, that appeals? I don't know if it's specifically the age group because I don't really know how to think about, you know, what's good for specific ages, but it's more the, um, the excuse to keep it very clean and simple. Um, you know you have to keep it as clean as you can, and it's just a vague idea of how, you know, you can't think, well, this might be good for four or five-year-olds, but not for six or sevens. I, I don't have anything like that. Um, but you just want to get it as clear as, as you can and, and really get the story down to its most basic points. And that's my favorite stuff to do anyway. So I don't really think of it in terms of, even for children in general, I just think of it in terms of its simplest things. And you just hope that, like I say, your sensibilities will line up with kids and what's good for them. But it's mostly just about keeping it as clean as you can. So do you write and draw and then pare it back and pare it back? Or do you naturally No, I think it's natural. It I, I, the, the idea is, at least for my own books, um, I have to think of them in terms of that first. I, it's hard to pare it back once you've gotten into it because I don't like to draw or write anything that I don't think would be necessary for it. And so if you had to pare it back, that means you've written a lot of unnecessary or drawn a lot of unnecessary detail. And it's much harder to take down than it is to just really think about it for a bit longer and, and just say, well, I don't need that, and I don't need that, and I don't need that. And then you just draw, and then your shapes sort of fit the format of it instead of having to go in there and erase or cut cut out because um, the style is going to feel like it's been cut out as well, I think. At least for mine it would, I think. You've said in the past that you think your, your style is inconsistent. I mean, do, you, yeah. do you still think that, or do you think it's become more 
consistent? I think that um, you're probably your own, the worst person to sort of judge it. And so I look at the subject matter and the different ways that I would approach a different project. And I like to think that I tailor it a little bit to the, to the material. I have a certain way my, my wheels are sort of aligned that they're going to seek out certain shapes and palettes and things on their own. But I don't consciously do it. I don't consciously sort of say, well, I have to have these ingredients because this is my brand or my style or something like that. It just sort of happens naturally, but you try and fit as many decisions as you can to the material instead of what you think you should be doing as a, you know, as a, as an illustrator, or like what's your style or something like that. I think those things happen naturally and organically. And then all my conscious decisions have to be sort of backing up whatever the story or the book is going to be. But I, it ends up pulling together, I think, at least from a distance, it seems to, because you're, you know, your own person. So it, you know, it can evolve, I think, and over the course of maybe 10, 12 years or something like that, you might see some changes because you just, you change. Mm -hmm. But I think it has to be as organic as that. I don't think you can steer it much more accurately than that. Would you be able to describe your style to a listener to this podcast over just in words to say what you think it is? I like big shapes, I guess. And my characters, I don't draw characters very often just for the fun of it, almost never. I don't like to draw characters. And I didn't before I started getting into books and I needed a subject for them. And so often the characters themselves are very stoic. They don't show a lot of emotion and there's not a lot of overacting going on. They're often very calm and then the circumstances or the context is what sort of gives you the cue to how they're feeling. And so you can have a, you know, the bear throughout that bear story is just basically he's in this exact same position almost every time and his face doesn't change at all. But he's going through this very, you know, traumatic thing as far as he's concerned. And so you, but you put that on him because he says so, because he's going around and he doesn't even say he's sad. Um, you don't describe the emotion like that even. You just kind of give him the circumstances of being sad and then you understand that he's sad and he doesn't have to give you that visual information either. So I'm, I'm interested in that sort of very simple everyday, not everyday, but just drawings that don't give you all the information, but text that doesn't give you all the information either. And the answer somewhere in the middle. I like picture books best for that. That's, that's why I, I, I think I'm, I'm stuck with them because I, I just like that relationship so much. If you don't give the, the reader all the information, either in the text or the pictures, mm -hmm. have you ever been surprised by the reactions of readers? Yeah. Maybe to the ending of, I want my hat back or anything, because you haven't given them that, that information. They come up with, they, they fill in the gaps themselves. Yeah. Um, I want my hat back. It's funny because there are some, um, you do get every now and then a, a parent or a teacher or something who doesn't think the book is all that appropriate or thinks it's a bit too harsh at the end or something like that. And um, a lot of times they say that there's a last page, a last spread where the bear is left by himself and there's wordless and he's just sitting there and it's after everything has happened. And um, the people who don't like the book, a lot of them maintain that he looks very proud of himself in this picture. And he looks very like he's taking care of this thing and it's, and, you know, he's very proud of it. And I always thought, at least pacing wise, um, that this page was about him sort of maybe second guessing what he'd done or at least getting his first chance to think about it after all of this rage had passed and, and all of the conflict was over, that he thought, well, maybe I could have done this. You know, I probably could have gotten this hat back a couple different ways. But it's the same drawing. That's what's really funny is that his face hasn't changed at all either way. I, I see it pacing-wise as being this thing that we're sort of able to relate with him a little bit at the end finally. And people who don't like the book see it as this time where he's very proud and sort of chest pumped up and everything like that. But it's the exact same drawing for three pages before that and his face hasn't changed the whole book. And so it really is them, you know, what you want to sort of put in the book, you are putting in the book. Um, I do it and, and, the, and the audience does it, but it does help. I think you're going to back up your theory either way because the drawings are blank. They're not giving you the answer. And so if you, if you dislike the thing, 
you're going to find all the evidence you want because it's a blank canvas for that. I've been interested in that a lot. It's, it's really fun. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.